Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and did not necessarily represent those of AMC Networks and its employees. Can I go on the record? Of course. Okay, let me just read this. After nearly 30 years of denied appeals and broken promises of release and return to Germany, Jens's case took a positive and very dramatic turn when DNA tests concluded that blood at the crime scene, long believed to be Jens, was in fact left by another man, leading his attorney Stephen Rosenfeld to file a pardon petition in August 2016. That petition has gained the support of five law enforcement officers who believe in his innocence, one of whom was a senior detective at the time of the crime. Three DNA scientists and the University of Richmond Innocence Project. Nonetheless, the petition is still undergoing review after more than two years with no end in sight nor any recommendation. Meanwhile, Jen Soaring remains in a prison cell after three decades and we are left to wonder why. Justice so long delayed is no justice at all. That was Martin Sheen, reading a letter he wrote to the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He's one of Jens Suring's most ardent supporters. Welcome to The Truth About True Crime. I'm Amanda Knox. This season, I'm looking into the Sundance Now docuseries Killing for Love, a case that has haunting echoes of my own. The 1985 double homicide of Derek and Nancy Hasem spawned a second crime, a crime that is still happening, even as I speak. This ongoing crime is the 33-year wrongful imprisonment of Jens Suring by the state of Virginia. To date, Jens has exhausted all his appeals. He's been denied parole 14 times in a row. And now his only hope of release rests with a pardon petition to the governor of Virginia. A petition that's been dragging on painfully long. But however hopeless it may seem for Jens, he isn't struggling for his freedom alone. He isn't the only one betting all their chips on what the state has already decided is a losing bet. Jens also has novelist John Grisham in his corner. Then there's Jason Flom, one of the founding board members of the Innocence Project, who calls him regularly. Or the former Canadian Minister of Justice, Professor Erwin Kotler, who recently joined his legal team. Even Angela Merkel has lobbied for his return to Germany. And of course, 
there's Martin Sheen. Before I spoke to any of the experts in this case, investigators, DNA experts, and lawyers, some of whom you met in previous episodes, I played a bit of phone tag with Martin Sheen. I wanted to talk to him about what drew him to Jens, a man locked up hundreds of miles away. I wanted to know how such an unlikely relationship developed and what it meant for someone like Martin Sheen, an adored celebrity, to put his name and reputation behind a man who many in Virginia still think is a savage killer, and what it meant for Jens to have people on the outside fighting to set him free. I just want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. I know that this case has been on your mind for a long time, and I know you're a very busy person, so I I really do appreciate you talking to me about Jens and about your relationship to this case. Well, I'm delighted that you're involved because you bring such heavy credibility and experience to uh, what Jen is is going through. So uh, your credibility is very, very needed at this time. So let's let's go back to like the beginning. When did you first become aware of Jens Sering's case? Well, you know, we had a mutual friend in uh, Bishop uh, uh, Sullivan. He told me about uh, this young man that he believed was innocent, serving a life sentence in his diocese. And um, he recommended that I read a book that uh, Jens had written uh, called The Convict Christ. Right where Jens compares his experiences of prison life with what the gospel says about criminal justice? Yes, yes. So he sent me a copy of that book, and I read it, and I was uh, deeply moved and really taken by this young man's uh, skill as a writer, uh, and also his spiritual journey was so powerful, and uh, a parallel sense of humor that was so disarming for one in such a draconian situation. Uh, so I began corresponding with him, and it's continued till uh, this present day. For a closer look at Jens Sering's case, check out the six-part docuseries, Killing for Love, on Sundance Now. Download the app or visit SundanceNow.com and enter promo code TRUTH to sign up for a free 14-day trial. It's strange being on this side of the prison wall, looking in. It reminds me that I've never really come to terms with the fact that I have supporters too. People who didn't know me personally, but who are nevertheless deeply invested in my life and my future. My own supporters came from all walks of life and did all sorts of things to show their support. One donated his air miles to help my family make the 3,000-mile trip to Italy to see me. Others translated court documents between Italian and English, corrected errors on Wikipedia, and helped raise money for my defense. They wrote news articles and published books. People like FBI agent Steve Moore and DNA expert Greg Hempikin risked their professional credibility to defend me. And some just did the simple, humble work of writing me letters in prison. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me. I owe all these people my life in one way or another. And the only thing all of my supporters have in common is me. But why me? Why Jens? 
There's no guarantee that anyone will ever care about you. And yet, people do. But why? Why did Martin Sheen choose to care about Jens? Do you remember what Jens wrote that really struck you? He was growing at such a a deeply personal level that it was almost enviable where he was arriving spiritually. He had found a way to unite the will of the spirit with the work of the flesh, if you will. I was just captivated by that, and I wanted to read more. And uh, as we corresponded, uh, a second book came, um, which actually I think was his third book, but it was a day in the life of and his number. And uh, again, it was a, uh, a deeply personal diary, really, of what it was like to be in this prison. And he so infuriated <laughs> the... Uh, the, the administrators of that facility that they they got they got rid of him as soon as they could and he ended up in Buckingham where he is now. Uh, he just he he just saw the flaw and the corruption and and all the the entire prison system and and he he exposed it with such uh, humor and uh, compassion for uh, his fellow inmates. And even for the guards and the administrators, you know, that they were stuck in this vacuum of corruption that nobody was really able to uh, live with honestly. Jens has, has made a point of living an honest life in a dishonest situation. And that's what really is a great inspiration to me. I'm always inspired by people who are stuck in a situation, but they they rise above it and they see it from a totally different um, a point of view. And it's a deeply personal one. If, if your point of view is not personal, it's impersonal. If it's impersonal, nobody cares. As an actor, Martin Sheen knows that to get people invested, a story has to not only ring true, but feel intimate and personal. And for Sheen, nothing is more important and more personal than living an honest life, no matter how difficult the circumstances. Jens's ability to do just that is why advocates for big, abstract causes, like fighting wrongful convictions, find themselves being pulled into Jens's orbit. When you begin to read his his personal experiences in prison over those two books, then you really understood, wow, there was a truly giant uh, personality here. Uh, his writing skills alone were extraordinary, but his personality and his journey, as I say, was almost enviable. You wanted some of what he had. Who was this man and how could he possibly possess this power and be in, a, in that situation and a, a lockup for all those years? And, and he's maintained that. I know there are ups and downs. There cannot not be as long as, you know, we're in, we're in our human flesh. But uh, he's managed to continue this extraordinary journey which I'm certain is going to lead to his freedom, but he's already free in a lot of very deeply personal ways. This is one of the most strikingly honest things I've heard in a while. 
that supporting someone goes beyond the idea of there but by the grace of God go I. That a part of our motivation to help someone can be envy too. Life is a series of problems, but not all problems feel meaningful. What a relief, what a rush even, to care about something with stakes so high. But why Jens's case? As he says, I don't really think my case is all that different from any of the other 100,000 wrongful convictions in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I really don't think I'm special in that regard. I think they try to silence everybody and they try to shut everybody else down and almost everybody gives up. I just haven't given up. I don't think Jens gives himself enough credit, even if all he's doing is not giving up. When Martin Sheen says he envies Jens, He's not wishing to be wrongfully convicted, too. He envies the potential for personal growth that he sees Jens claiming for himself. What was it like corresponding with him at the beginning? Well, uh, it was uh, based on his writing uh, at first. I had to really investigate the case. I didn't really know the case specifically, uh, until after I had read, uh, his first book. And then I began to investigate the case and I thought, oh my, there's, uh, uh, a lot of flaw here, uh, involved in his conviction. But I started, uh, a, a correspondence, uh, uh, over the years. And most of it was about his spiritual journey. I'm Catholic as well. So that, that was kind of the level where we began our correspondence. It's easy to think that faith is just crossing your fingers and hoping things will work out. But for Sheen, it's about taking action, believing that the world can be better if only we try. How is this case affected your perception of the criminal justice system? And how do we install faith in the system when, you know, countless people like Jens are facing this, this terrible problem of wrongful convictions? It's incumbent on individuals and family members of the wrongly convicted to get involved and to make their voices heard. But it's, it's so entwined with the political system which is, of course, part of Jens's uh, 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 case as well. And the uh, institutions themselves, you know, once you're in a lockup, uh, the, you know, everybody assumes that you, you, you must have done something, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. You might be crying innocent from this, but you didn't get here by accident. So there's this assumed image that the public has of people who are incarcerated I think it's important for all of us, uh, you know, just as a informed citizen to become involved in this issue for our own sakes and for the sake of the uh, of our our children in the future, Mm -hmm. that the system has got to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just it it takes a, a deeply personal involvement in trying to help people that, you know, are wrongfully convicted. And you have to be in it for the long haul, just like the, the convicted. Uh, mm-hmm. It is not a uh, overnight thing. It's not day to day. It's a continual involvement. And it's gotta cost you something. If it doesn't cost you something, then you're left to question uh, 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 your time. 
Martin Sheen is getting at what might be the most important part of what it means to be a supporter. It means bearing an actual cost. For Sheen, it means risking his reputation on Jens, a person others have decided is a monster. I know my own supporters faced and continue to face daily backlash. They have to fend off the trolls just like I do. But they chose to step into the ring with me without me ever asking them to. And that's what Martin Sheen has done for Jens Suring. It's what more and more people are doing for Jens. And it means the world to him. There have been some people in my life who've stuck around for decades. Uh, the one that comes to mind immediately is Gail Starling Marshall. Hmm. She's been in my life for 23 years, which is just amazing. And I'm so grateful to have her in my life. Um, she's a great lady and a fine lawyer. And um, she was the very first person here in Virginia who had the guts to stand up and say, hey, this guy didn't actually do it. And um, I'll never forget that. It takes courage to say it, to shout it to whoever will listen. This man is innocent. But what really matters is who hears it. And right now, the only ear that matters is the governor's. For the last two and a half years, I've been struggling against Virginia again over this pardon process. And there have been different phases of this process. Uh, there have been times where I was very hopeful um, that I would be released. Um, at one point in October 2017, um, then Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe gave a public radio interview in which he said he would make a decision in my case before he left office. I thought I was about to go home. And I did make plans and and I did have hopes for myself. And then he didn't. And um, um, turned my case over to his successor, uh, the current governor of Virginia. Um, and that was a crushing disappointment for me. Releasing a convicted murderer, which is what Jens is legally, which is what I was before I was acquitted, never plays well politically. No one running for re-election wants to suffer the political attack ad that says, Governor so-and-so released a convicted killer. But it's even worse for Jens now, with the current governor of Virginia embroiled in scandal, making Jens's already touchy pardon petition political poison. I, I don't know what to believe anymore other than um, that I'm going to be here for a while, yeah. despite all the evidence of my innocence. And nobody's in a rush to make a decision. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm told it's going to be another, you know, half year at best. And it's, it's always tomorrow. It's always mañana. Hmm. And there's always more important things to do. And here's an ironic little thing. Um, 
the so-called investigation of my pardon petition has now been going on longer than Bob Mueller's investigation of Donald Trump. <laughs> and that's funny. And Martin Sheen thought it was hilarious. I don't know what the what it will be called, whether he's pardoned or released or paroled or uh, whatever. I, I think it's going to be a political decision. I think it's going to come from the governor. I hope it's that. And um, that will be the first step. Uh, then once he's released, I think that then the, um, the effort to exonerate him, to uh, reverse his conviction, will get underway in a very different uh, uh, way and on a very different level once he's free. You know? mm -hmm. As I say, uh, I'm, I'm very encouraged that uh, I think it's uh, close to, uh, to his freedom. I really do. And as I say, it's going to be this year. Are you worried at all that the lack of strong opposition might be a sign of indifference? Well, they have to free him. They, they, they don't have any credibility left if they don't free him, and quickly too. And yet, one of the things that I learned through eight years, four trials, two convictions, and two acquittals was that my innocence was no guarantee of my freedom. The only thing the law promises any of us is a fair trial by our peers. And so often, the justice system, or the injustice system, as Martin Sheen says, fails to live up to its claim of fairness. That's bad enough. But what haunts me even more is that a fair trial can still get it wrong. A fair trial can find an innocent person guilty and a guilty person innocent. And the law owes us nothing more than that. Yes, everything seems to be going in Jens's favor, but a part of me is still afraid. And I wonder, like, have you thought, what if it doesn't work out for Jens? Do you know how you would feel? I, I don't know, you know, where we'll go from here, but uh, never mind my feeling. I, I would just be more concerned for him. You know, they say that after five years in a lockup, uh, it gets very difficult to maintain your humanity, hence your sanity. And he's been in there for 34 years, so... Um, it wears and tears the spirit and the body and mm. the individual that's affected is the only one who can possibly know how to come to grips with it, how to live on with it and still live. Uh, so I, I just read to think that it's not going to happen. I have to be optimistic. I look at the alternative, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think that, that just goes with being alive today. If you're not optimistic, then you are embracing the alternative. <laughs> uh, and I refuse to do that. It, it just, it doesn't make for a very uh, interesting life. Optimism. When I was first on trial, I was 100% optimistic that I'd be acquitted. So it crushed me when that guilty verdict came down. 
I realized that my innocence and my freedom weren't connected the way I thought they were. One did not cause the other. The whiplash of that realization still hurts. And since then, I've feared that optimism means blinding yourself to all the possibilities you don't like and believing in only what you want to believe. And yet, I wouldn't be free today if my family, my friends, and all my supporters had given up hope. I think that once he is released, and I say again, I'm absolute confident that it's coming soon, he will tell us things that he can't tell us now. I think that it's a matter of public record, and it has to come from the accused. And it can really only come when they're freed. So I'm looking forward to that, and I support that. I really hope you get to spend some time in freedom with him. There's a whole other journey of discovery and recovery. And and I think that, I, I guess I just want to convey to you how meaningful it is that Jens has someone like you there to hear him and to see him and to speak out for him and defend him. And I think that you'll find your, your friendship is going to mean a lot to him what, even when he gets out, you know? Well, I, I would look forward to that, Patty, and I, I appreciate you you're sharing that from one who has experienced a, a very similar experience. I thank you for that. Of course. I've not met him, incidentally. I've talked to him on the phone only. Uh, and I was looking forward to, to meeting him last summer, but we couldn't arrange it. So uh, I'm still looking forward to meeting him. I have this vision of uh, waiting outside Buckingham when he makes his exit and meeting him for the first time uh, at, when he becomes a free man. What would you uh, bring to him uh, outside the gates of Buckingham? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I hadn't even thought of uh, what I'd bring to him. I would just... Uh, just be delighted to greet him as a free man. Mm. Uh, that, That would be a great honor. Yeah. The fact that Martin Sheen would consider this an honor strikes me. It says something about the kinds of people who become supporters. They recognize that we're all dealt different hands and that sometimes heroism just means not collapsing not giving up in the face of overwhelming odds. It also shows a recognition that Jens's struggle, though it has ramifications for the entire justice system, is an intensely private struggle. It's his life on the line. And that means that his joy in finally gaining freedom is also private. If he chose to share that sacred moment with me, those first steps out of prison, I'd feel honored too. How are you doing? Are you, how, how's, how is this all affecting you? It's hard for us and it's hard for Steve and all the other people on, the, on his side, but how is it affecting him? That's really the, the, the only thing I think about. So each time a rejection comes down, I try to make contact and let him know that uh, we're still thinking and still working on his behalf and still believing in his uh his innocence and his release. You know, I think that 
uh, you know, our job is, is, is easy compared to his. I mean, uh, he's the victim and, uh, and, you know, there's no way we can possibly know what it's like day in and day out getting so close and, you know, falling short at the goal. I do know what it's like, at least a bit. I know how important that lifeline is, what it means to keep the faces of those you love in your mind, to know someone out there cares. As Jens told me. I've had to learn survival strategies in here, and, you know, it's... There's a a system to surviving this, and one of the elements is that you have to actively work on um, maintaining contacts to the outside world, Mm -hmm. um, and working on your relationships, and that includes opening yourself up and exposing yourself to the risk of disappointment. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing it'll come, but doing it anyway, because you need to do that to stay human. You have to make yourself build relationships, open up, trust people, um, or you won't make it. It's that courage and vulnerability Martin Sheen finds so inspiring. But having been on Jens's side of the bars, having been vilified beyond imagining, I can say it takes courage to stick up for someone in that position, too. I think you're extraordinary because you're caring about someone who you didn't have to care about. And I hope that you don't diminish that in your mind because that's a real thing. And I think you're extraordinary for that. Well, thank you. Uh, It uh, takes one to know one. (laughs) But I do it as I do everything in my life, basically for for myself uh, so that I know myself and I can relate to myself in uh, every circumstances knowing that I did my best and that I tried to live an honest life. And that's the bottom line. Well, let's all go to Germany when Jens gets out. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a great celebration. You can imagine. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Um, I don't want to take any more of your time, but I thank you. Thank you for letting me pick your brain and your heart and, and, and get to know you and Jens through your experience. Well, Amanda, it's been a real pleasure and, uh, you've been a great source of inspiration as well. So, uh, I'm, I'm so happy that, uh, uh, you're included in, on Jens's team and what you're doing is so vital. Thank you for that. Talking to Martin Sheen made me wonder how my own supporters felt, thinking about me trapped in a prison cell for four years. These days, at Innocence Project events, or even in the grocery store, people walk up to me and tell me how glad they are that I'm living my life. They tell me I'm inspiring, And the first thought that always runs through my head is, but I didn't do anything. And yet, when I look at Jens from a supporter's perspective, and I see him continuing to fight, to hope, when so many powerful forces are set against him, 
I understand what Martin Sheen means when he says Jens is living an honest life in spite of everything. But honesty, of all things, isn't exactly what Jens has come to be known for. Jens is also the guy who refused to submit fingerprints and blood samples to law enforcement. He's the guy who fled to Europe, acquired false papers, and came up with a fraudulent check scheme. He's the guy who lied, a lot, to cover up a murder. And there's something else. The main thing to understand about my case is that um, in 1986, I told the police that I killed Derek and Nancy Hazen. Jens Suring confessed to the double homicide that he now says he didn't do, which means he was either lying then or he's lying now. Jens supporters see a person who has undergone tremendous growth over the decades. But others see a liar, and once a liar, always a liar. He was trapped by that false confession, but he really thought of himself as being heroic when he did it and saving her from the death penalty. He's been dealing with that for now 34 years and counting. Either way, Jens is an unreliable narrator. Many people have said the same thing and worse about me. In this way, Jens is like a version of myself who was never freed, who's been proclaiming his innocence to deaf ears since before I was born. Next time, on The Truth About True Crime, Jens and I get into what it's like to be an unreliable narrator. I ask the experts what sort of environment or mind state could lead a man to confess to two murders he didn't commit. Could love be that powerful, that dangerous? In the meantime, be sure to check out the Sundance Now docuseries, Killing for Love, at sundancenow.com. And please subscribe, rate, review, and share the truth about true crime.